that commercial short position on the higher end. So at least based on the positioning data, not exactly a time where you would be expecting the gold and silver prices to skyrocket in the near future. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics on a Wednesday morning, January 17th, where unfortunately the gold and silver prices down again a bit today and lower on the year, a bit of a tough start to the metals for the year, although I think we have not seen by any means what is about to play out through the rest of the year. And we will dig into that as obviously a lot of attention on what the Fed is or isn't going to do. And also some different bank commentary about the gold and silver space, which we will touch on, as well as some of the other silver news. So that said, let us dig in and take a quick look at the markets today. We're recording 11.30 a.m. Eastern time, and we can see silver down again today, uh, 33 cents down to 22.75 and if we take a look here, we can see started the year at 2404, so down about a buck 30. Similar picture in gold, a little bit lower on the year, a little bit lower on the day, as we see gold down 17, almost $18 now. And here, if we take a look back to the start of the year, can see started 2073, so about $60 lower. And again, I think part of this is that we did have that big run up towards the end of the year. I mean, if you remember back to November, there we were at 1937 and run up to 2090, obviously had that Sunday night. It mixed in there as well, where the price of gold got over the $2,100 level. And as I'm sure many of you watching remember how things got hammered pretty thoroughly in the days and weeks after that, rebounded again towards the end of the year. Following that, we have seen a correction, which not entirely unexpected. And in fact, let's take a look at the latest COT report, which came out last Friday and covered the period up to January 9th. And you can see we're getting some improvement. Here is the swap dealers, which we can think of as the banks, reducing 5,200 short positions adding 918, so still somewhat historically short, as you can see by that almost 7,000 contract short position, which is about in the middle of the range that we've seen this trade at for the last couple of years. So not at the point yet where the banks have gotten flat, which is generally about as long as they get, but usually when we see that swap dealer position get back to about even, that has been coinciding with some of the moves back up. Similar pattern in gold where you see over that past week, reducing 18,900, almost 19,000 contracts, adding 2,000 long, so 21,000 contract swing there. And we can also take a look at the commercial position here in the line in red. So you can see it has gotten on the lower end of the range. This is a three-year chart, and here we're looking at silver. So commercials short almost 53,000 contracts and a similar position in gold where that commercial short position on the higher end. So at least based on the positioning data, not exactly a time where would be expecting the gold and silver prices to skyrocket in the near future, but hopefully at least getting towards the end of this sell-off. And again, a lot of this happening ahead of some of the things that are coming up 
in terms of the Federal Reserve and some of their policies uh, with a lot of the market looking towards that March time frame. It's about 50-50 now to see rate cuts in March. I personally think that it might not happen in March and we're going to be looking at a little bit later in the year, although here was a note last week that came out. Bank of America expecting the Federal Reserve to announce plans to begin tapering the runoff of its Treasury holdings in March, coinciding with its first 25 basis point interest rate cut. If we take a look at the Fed futures probability, that is the January meeting. But if we take a look out, we see as of the 17th, we have 55%, almost 56% probability being priced in for that first rate cut in March and currently pricing in six rate cuts in 2024, which certainly when you look at things, perhaps from where we stand today, might seem a little bit aggressive and may well turn out to be a little bit aggressive before it's all said and done. Yet, I think a lot of that's going to be predicated on some of the things that we will mention here today and that Bank of America mentioned in his post, especially because you have the reverse repo facility steadily draining towards that $0 mark. And at the same time in March, also you have the expiration of the bank term funding program, which is what the Fed put into the market last year that really propped things up and actually is tied to something that I wanted to mention here. As in Rafi Farber's column on his Substack today, which is at endgameinvestor.substack.com, he had some interesting notes about some quotes here from John Williams, head of the New York Fed, who mentions, base case is that current restrictive policy will continue to restore balance and bring inflation back to our 2% longer term goal. And he expects they'll need to maintain a restrictive policy stance for some time, and that'll only be appropriate to dial back the degree of restraint when they're confident inflation is moving towards 2% on a sustained basis. And in a moment, I'll show you a quick look at where we stand, because not quite there yet. Although what I wanted to touch on here ties back to the idea of whether we do have turbulence in the market, specifically as the BTFP program expires, because he's talking about the reduction of the holdings in treasury securities and agency debt, the quantitative tightening that's been ongoing. It mentions the strategy and implementation of our reductions in security holdings is working exactly as designed. Thus far, we have reduced our securities holdings by about $1.3 with no signs of adverse effects on, marketing fun on market functioning, which I would see that differently as obviously we had some huge effects last March and April when we had Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and a few other banks run into trouble as they were facing unrealized losses, uh, depositors were leaving, and necessitating the launch of the BTFP program. So not sure that we've seen absolutely no signs of adverse functioning. And again, that's something that certainly you're going to want to keep an eye on over the next two months. Now, in terms of what he mentions about inflation, and they're going to be waiting for inflation to get back to the 2% level, I'm not sure exactly when we will be seeing that. Here you can see this is the headline consumer price inflation. There was the big spike. And you can see since about mid-2023, it's been roughly the same range around that 3.4, 3.5% level. 
And keep in mind that this right now is with the oil price lower. We can take a look over here and you can see that we have crude at $72, Brent at $77.60. So certainly that does help to leave us with the lower inflation numbers. And if you do see an increase in the oil and energy prices, that would put even another impediment into getting the 2% target. Here, if we take a look at the PCE deflator that the Fed likes so much, we can see PCE down to 2.6%, although their core metric at 3.2%, which means that the decisions are not getting all that much easier because the Fed is caught in between that trap of supporting the markets and preventing issues like we saw last year versus trying to get inflation down. And I would suggest that there is... Not really any easy, perfect answer that they're going to find, which was one of the things that makes the events of this year so interesting. For what it's worth, Nick Timoros, again, affectionately known as the Fed Whisperer, he had an article out a couple of days ago mentioning that Fed tiptoes toward dialing back key channel monetary tightening by slowing the pace at which its balance sheet shrinks. Central bank aims to prevent a messy disruption to the financial system. Again, Nick often seems to have quite a pipeline into the Fed's thinking, and certainly in many people's opinions, mine as well, that is telegraphing a lot of the things that are going to be upcoming, somewhat to gauge the market reaction, somewhat to set market expectations. And for what it's worth, he is suggesting that we will see reduction in the monetary tightening. Although, interesting article from our dear friend Dave Pranzler that came out this week where he mentions monetary base is up over 7% since last March and M2 also a bit higher and have the charts pulled up to take a look at that. Here is the monetary base and you can see even as of last March at $5.57 trillion, which had been a jump uh, perhaps somewhat expectedly from the February period. Here is when we have BTFP launched. And then, as you can see, Dave pointing out that we're now up to $5.73 trillion. Similar, although slightly different in terms of the M2, yet you can see that it bottom out, bottomed out here in April of last year at $20.7 trillion. And now, as of November, we're at $20.767 trillion. So... Even with the quantitative tightening that's ongoing, again, this isn't a huge increase that we've seen here, but even with that quantitative tightening, we see that the M2 is higher and has somewhat stabilized. In fact, if we take a look back here at the five-year chart, here you can see when the Fed was beginning to cut interest rates and M2 did come down, although perhaps has bottomed out for now. And certainly if we do get some of this easing going forward, you would expect that we will see an uptick in both of those metrics. In terms of how the banks are seeing this, Vince Lancey shared an update from Goldman Sachs on his Substack column earlier this week. And one of the takeaways he had is that gold very likely to be driven on what is happening with the central banks, where we've seen a continuation again last year of strong central bank buying and something that I would imagine will continue this year because... Tied to point number one, there are two risks. Geo geopolitics can ease, although the underlying risk will not go away. And certainly when you take a look at some of the geopolitical factors, this one to the top of the list, something that came out last week where White House 
support seizing Russian assets in favor of Ukraine. Obviously, this was something that happened shortly after Russia went into Ukraine, which is amazingly now almost two years ago. Tragic, obviously, that that's still ongoing. Well, now there's a new conflict going on in the world and certainly some heavy things happening uh, in different places in the world at this time, but at least to the impact that this could have. And it set a rather concerning precedent that money could be frozen like that in the first place and is one of the things that I believe has driven the gold price over the last couple of years because of that central bank gold buying and a lot of this geopolitical risk. And certainly if the U.S. does take that further step to just go ahead and seize those assets and then spend them, does not seem like it is going to be reducing the tension that's going on anytime in the near future. So combining the geopolitics with everything that's happening from a monetary perspective certainly has set a bit of a floor in the gold and silver prices, maybe more so on the gold side, where even despite everything that's happened, I know it's not so much fun to look and see gold down 18 bucks today, yet I still think that's a big positive any day that we wake up and see gold over the $2,000 level, especially in the midst of everything that is happening and going on. And one other silver note, Vince did share another bank report with me where they were analyzing why the silver price hasn't risen more given the dynamics, including the deficit that's ongoing in the market. And they talked about how you've had a lack of investor demand, which on one hand makes sense, although fortunately the thing with a deficit is that that demand is included. And whether it's industrial demand or investment demand, I think that points out the degree to which the investment interest is often what is driving the price, although investment and industrial demand still coming from the same ultimate source and at a time where you're not seeing money going into the mining sector. So it's not not as if we're in a situation where there's a deficit, yet everybody is ramping up at full speed and just drilling the heck out of any known silver deposit that's out there. Pretty much the opposite case there. So obviously, I know there's a lot of us that wish the system were set up in a way that tracked what's really going on in the overall levels of supply and demand a little bit more closely, but such is the way the system works. But the fact that you have a deficit ongoing with those other dynamics, then factor in the Fed and geopolitics still to me leaves a rather positive future of where these things will head. And again, that's even aside from if we are reaching a big turning point in terms of monetary policy, which you can debate the timing of it, but I think there's enough to see where things are headed, that there is easing coming. Again, it's not anymore just people like Vince and Rafi and Dave and myself saying that the Fed is going to ease or that there's a problem with the debt loads. Obviously, there's a lot of concern of how the Treasury's borrowing this year is going to be funded with a lot of the traditional buyers slowing up or stopping what they've been purchasing. And in either case, these are the factors to be aware of today. And real quick, before we wrap up, just did want to pass along that First Majestic Silver did have their fourth quarter production and year yearly production numbers out yesterday, as well as their guidance going forward. And total production for the year consisted of 26.9 silver equivalent ounces, 
which was just about in the midpoint of their revised guidance range for 2023 of 26.2 to 27.8 million silver equivalent ounces. And the breakdown there was 10.3 million ounces of silver, 198.9 thousand ounces of gold. And in terms of what they're expecting going into 2024, they're looking at a silver equivalent production of 21.1 to 23.5 with a breakdown of 8.6 to 9.6 million ounces of silver, 150 to 167,000 ounces of gold. Obviously the key reason why those numbers are a bit lower than 2023 is the suspension of the Jarrett Canyon mine in Nevada, which occurred in the first quarter of last year, although work still ongoing there to eventually get that up and running at a lower cost basis going forward. So find out more about them at firstmajestic.com. Hope you're having a great afternoon out there and we will see you again soon.